Welcome to the Better Bozo. of the better bozo the better bozos oh that's a dude we need to come up with a jingle dun, dun, dun. <laughs> especially considering it's um christian hegemony season or or merry christmas for right. all y'all a christian hegemonic holiday chc second candle tonight we're lighting for those hanukkah yeah for those of us who are doing that um and overall, actually, most interesting was the solstice a couple of nights ago. How so? Well, I find it most interesting because it's the one you can put your finger on. Like, oh, that's right. This is the longest night of the year. We're going to celebrate something and drop into, it's true, it's been dark and gloomy and and the days have been short and I haven't been wanting to get out of bed <laughs> and I've been wanting to get back into bed. <laughs> And, and yeah, these holidays are, somebody decided centuries or even millennia ago that it's probably a good idea to celebrate family and warmth and life in the midst of all the gloom and doom. Also, politically, things things seem to be just unfathomably redonkulous. Yeah, I know there's an impeachment. The president was just impeached. Is it going to make a difference? No. I don't know that it'll make a big difference. Well, the difference between being impeached and being removed from office seems titanic. Right? Clinton was impeached. Did it matter? Nope. Nope. And so if this... Ruined Monica Lewinsky's life. Sure. For about a decade and a half. Yeah. I I like that she's back. Me too. And it it feels like so relevant, and I'm so sad that she had to suffer the most. Well, as a young awful. woman, the 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 most shameful position to be put in by the ultimate person of authority in the country. And now, you know, yeah. what is it? Two years since the hashtag Me Too moment. I feel like oh, that's right, Monica Lewinsky. She's synonymous with so much. On a global level, um, but for her to be able to find the the courage to speak up now and say, "Hey, mm-hmm. we have a," I have some lessons to teach all y'all. Yeah, <clears throat> did you read her story uh, recently? Mm-mm. Um, this is going to be another one of those moments where I feel unprofessional and say, "I read an article <laughs> somewhere." We'll, we'll find it and put it in the in the show notes. In the show notes. Yeah, thank goodness for show notes. Um, her story is beautiful and brutal and she's got a sense of humor about it all. Um, and it really shed light on a thing that, again, I was sort of blissfully clueless about in terms of what she went through. Mm -hmm. Um, very typically male in this Western culture until I read that article and really had this whole insight into, wow, she got raked over the 
fucking coals for years. Mm. Mm-hmm. Brutally. So I, I agree. I'm glad she's back in the the sort of public eye in, in a way and and has managed to survive that onslaught. Wait, how we get on the topic of Monica Lewinsky? Impeachment. Impeachment. Oh, it's the season it, of it's the, it's the dark the season. It's the dark season. <laughs> yeah. Um Tis the season. All right, here we are. Back at the Better Bozo, preparing for an interview with Jason Lang. Lang. Yep. He of the evolutionary.men. It's his website. Okay, so we seem to have a lot in common with him just by virtue of A, (laughs) us all working with a certain gender. Sure, and a certain demographic. He says evolutionary men, we say better bozo. Feels similar. I think his is more pretentious. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and say... Yes, I agree. I think your average person on the street would say bozo versus evolutionary. Ooh. Ooh yeah, exactly. Like, hey, that guy's a bozo. Oh, mm, there's an evolutionary man. They would probably say. If anybody showed up and said, hey, I'm an evolved man, I'd be like, listen, bozo. <laughs> you're not a better bozo if you say you're an evolved man. That's a good point. We should grill Jason about that. Um, <clears throat> so, but we're hoping to get along with Jason. We like Jason. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I like him so far. Okay. We spoke a couple of weeks ago for half hour, and it was it was good, intelligent, uh, alive. He's got passion. He's yeah, interesting, learned, uh, and I think humble. So cool. Curious, curious to talk. I'm looking to be inspired. I'm looking to receive some guidance, some insight. Yeah. High standards. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's right. Mm -hmm. Low bar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, let's read his bio. All right. Mm -hmm. Jason's a men's embodiment coach. He's a group facilitator. Wait, do we get to tear this apart as we read it, or I, I should was, I let you finish it off? Uh, that's a good point. <laughs> let's let's finish it off, and then we'll tear it apart. Uh, because the next one also got me fired up, too. An evolutionary guide. He helps men drop in and wake up to deeper clarity in their life's purpose and relationships. He believes every man should be in a men's group for the growth and support opportunities they provide. Uh, and there's certainly more... Uh, good stuff, I think, on his website. I read through his bio. I like that. That's pretty good in a basic kind of way. Absolutely, I agree. Every, at this point in my life, I think it is, uh, it is absolutely appropriate for every one of us to be in a group. Yep. Um, I am curious about our use of very binary language. And I think you and I need to explore this within ourselves further. Yeah. Every man. Does that mean that men don't get to be queer? Because I think in every one of us, when it comes down to it, I know I like to identify as queer sometimes. I know that I appreciate the flexibility and the more we use language that is open to a non-binary experience, yeah. the more I feel less pressure to behave like the man that I don't actually want to be anymore. <laughs> well... I'm with you. Two things come up. One, it's a great point about a very narrow, 
title and expectations around what we can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I th- it feels important each time we say the word queer to at least briefly define it. Okay. Which essentially, as I see it, I think you'll have a better understanding of this, but I'll take my bozo shot. Um, <clears throat> is not wholly identifying with my assigned gender based on my sex. Mm-hmm. Which is to say that only in the last few years have I thought, you know what, I don't know that I'm actually cisgendered. A hundred percent. So does that mean I'm a little bit queer? And I think I am. Because mm. I have done some interesting and certainly off the mainstream stuff. Yeah. Um, so those two things feel important. And I, I Okay, so I agree with that. I just want to, I think on my own experience, I... I Man, being assigned a gender and needing to behave according to rules that I don't feel actually fit me. Yeah. And still knowing that, okay, yes, I need to, I can take responsibility for me being a man. (laughs) And I also can't help but know about myself that, oh, I love. Dressing up sometimes, putting sparkles on my face, being yeah. cuddly with friends of mine who also happen to be assigned uh, male as a gender, yeah. who are also very gruff. But then so- suddenly when we cuddle, it's like, oh, this is great. And I've loved this. And it's mm-hmm. been like poo-pooed <laughs> for yeah. most of my life in, sure. in the military or growing up. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to I, – what I want to do with Jeff – is is discuss Jason's men's embodiment. Does that mean being gruff? Does that mean being um, somewhere else in his in his materials? He said unapologetic. Um, is that what it means to be a man? Um, so there's a there's I think I don't even know how to begin to unpack embodying men or being. Does that mean masculinity? Does that mean um, not being effeminate? Or is it the opposite? Is it knowing that I can uh, embody whatever I feel comfortable being? In other words, I can be queer or what the hell does it mean to embody being a man? Well, that's a great question we get to ask him, right? I mean, shortly. And then group facilitator... I love my favorite people in the world are group facilitators. My favorite thing in the world is good facilitation. And my pet peeve is bad facilitation. I can't stand bad facilitation. And then when he says an, and evolutionary guide. I definitely want to ask him about that. What, what is that? I have no idea. I like it. I can't say I don't like it. Well, it's, it's evocative for sure. Is it a shaman? Well, can that is it a spiritual? Well, let, let's bring him on. Oh, it's twelve oh one. It's twelve oh one. Let's do All right. it. Yes. Hey, man! Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, meet Mika Kurz. How's it going, man? Yeah, so great to meet you, man. Glad, glad you're here. I feel like I've been reading your your materials and your bios and and your offerings, um, and I'm I'm stoked to dive right in. Awesome, love it. <laughs> cool. Um, 
Or where do you want to start? Well, I just off the bat, Jason, um, would you be willing to dive in and maybe tell us in briefly three sentences just to get us rolling what you feel your calling is and, 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 and how you offer it? Yeah. Um, I would say to evolve consciousness and I do that in the micro by working with uh, people in the relational field particularly men and some co-ed through authentic relating. And then in the macro through storytelling, through filmmaking in terms of how do we actually shift consciousness on the big level and the small level. I got to say that was a pretty badass, concise, <laughs> what's Yo, your mission? Way to be prepared. Yeah. <laughs> good work. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll only take 39 years. Yeah. That's rough. <laughs> four decades. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's good to hear that because Mika and I were just going through your bio for a few minutes. We've been talking for an hour and a half, just prepping and going over what we wanted to hit with you. And we were curious about the notion of evolutionary, I think guide or yeah, evolutionary yes. guide. And, and I think you just spoke to it. If, if I'm correct. That's, that's a huge part of it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So if I understand just to the, the, when it comes to the term evolution, it implies that we're at a certain stage and that there's one we can be aspiring to. There's progress to make. Yeah, yeah. So a large part of my background and kind of honestly how partly how I got connected with Jeff was I used to live in Boulder. Uh, so I'm super immersed in the integral world, the work of Ken Wilber, which includes developmental psychology. And a huge part of that is that, yes, we go through structure stages of growth throughout our lifetime. And, you know, we all start at ground zero and have to work our way up. And working our way up really just means how much of reality am I including in any given moment? How many perspectives can I hold? So growth is learning to hold more and more perspectives in ourselves and in the world. And that um, there's a couple different ways we evolve through our lifetime. Uh, and a lot of what we're into, right, as, as, as practitioners is how do I expand my eye to include more of the world? And some of the stuff you guys do and, you know, I do, I think, are some of the techniques that seem to have, we've discovered, promote that. That, you know, before we can really shift to a higher perspective, a lot of times there has to be healing with what came before. And then when we kind of can kind of clear that out and create a ground of health evolution just kind of naturally happens actually mm. in the rights. We just kind of naturally start to take more of the world on when we're exposed to the right things. Mm. I, I super uh, appreciate what you just said. And I want to speak a little bit more to it because I, I struggle with this. And this is, I think a question for all of us as men um, and maybe all the men listening. Um, we get taught, I think a lot to focus on our problems and focus on the problems and perfectionism. And if I could just stop doing this thing. Um, and what I hear you saying, Jason, and, and this is a philosophy and practice that I've been taking on more and more in my life and my work, which is uh, quite the opposite. It's can, how can I have more wellness in my life, more wholeness, more connection. And those other things actually work themselves out the problems that I was focusing on so hard to make go away or to minimize. And I'm not saying it's an either or scenario, but it feels like that's a little bit of what you're pointing to. 
Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think that's a great way to kind of phrase it in terms of when we focus on becoming. I, I like to just kind of say, how do we become more whole? You know, what yeah. is it we have to do to become more whole in ourselves? And when we do that, oftentimes we naturally start to grow. Right? We see the limitations mm-hmm. of where we were, and we're able to see and actually incorporate more of reality. And you know that. It is a fine line, and it's one of the things I love about, you know, I'm so blessed to discover Ken's work early on, is he clearly distinguishes between states, states, so states of consciousness yeah. and stagesness. So states are meaning they can come at any given time, any single moment. Uh, a state can come on to us, but it will also pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nature of states is they're temporary, you know, a blissful moment, um, a depressive moment, whatever that might be, at some point that will pass. And we all have all states of consciousness available to us at any time. So, you know, there's stories of people having spontaneous awakenings, right? And having non-dual, deeply spiritual experiences with no background. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. And there is a state of consciousness that's available to the masculine at any given time, which I actually think speaks to that. Uh, when I do X, then I'll feel happy thing that a lot right, of men get right. trapped in. And that's that freedom itself, which I, I ascribe as in you know the lineage I'm kind of trained in is one of the core like masculine yearnings is to feel free, to be feel beyond constraint, mm. uh, is actually available to us in any moment. Right, freedom is an actual state of consciousness we can just drop into. And so many men, you know, I work with, and from my my talks with Jeff, I think he work with. There's he works with, there's often this idea that, oh, once I make a certain amount of money or get this certain job or meditate this many hours, then I'll be free, mm-hmm. which actually doesn't really work. Um, Typically, that freedom instead that is, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's something we can choose to tune into in any given moment. And that said, there are stages of consciousness, which is structures, right? There are actual structures we can build up in our life that I believe make it easier to access those states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Meaning when we're a whole healed person who's rested and grounded in the moment, I think it's easier to be, to be available to actually what's present in any given here and now moment. And those structures are also what I help men with is a lot of times we need to get some structures in our life for how do we nurture ourselves? How do we care for ourselves? How do we, um, walk towards the places we want to be going so that when we look back on our lives, we're like, ah, yeah, I played full out in that. And so you actually need both, right? You need practices that help you plunge into these states and you need to create structures in your life, right? Like you can't, you can make the decision that I want to be, I want to have six pack abs and that decision is instant, but the actual work it takes to develop that in your body takes consistency over time, right? It actually creates new structures in your body mind. And we need both when, when I think we're working in any kind of transformational context. And it's just part of what lights me up in, in the work I get to do is helping men a lot of times with structure and helping them realize, well, right now you can be more free too. Well, oh, I, I feel, thank you so much for this. This is very helpful. I feel like there's a lot to unpack here. I just want to reflect back and see if I if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly because I'm not as familiar as I'd like to be with uh, Ken Wilber's work, um, and also would like to weave in um, a personal versus collective uh, transformation or or evolution. But first off, 
what I'm hearing, what I think I'm hearing you say is that um, within my own daily, weekly, monthly, or even annual process, and it's and it's kind of nice that we're talking just after the solstice uh, because it's it's a good, you know, it's 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 good to look at the calendar and keep track. Have I evolved since? the last solstice or on a seasonal or even weekly basis. But am I, do I understand correctly that what you work on is to help me, for example, help a, help a person, a man keep track of my own personal evolution as far as my thought patterns, uh, how, not if, but how I, um, delineate my aspirations, my inspiration so that I can, work on a more consistent level towards the benchmarks that I might set for myself. Did I get that right? Did I word that well? I'm appreciating how you worded it. <laughs> <Okay>, yes. <cool. laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great, great summary of, you know, what I certainly ascribe or hope to do with, with people I work with and that yeah, be a, a guy, you know, it, part of this stems from, um, for whatever reason, I was pretty resistant to taking on the word coach. Coach, you know, there, there's something about that that feels very pragmatic. But, you know, I, I have a deeply spiritual background. And, and I was like, coach doesn't feel like enough. Because uh, it's also, yeah. you know, I'm not just about setting goals and helping people get to where they want to get. Because oftentimes, to get there, we have to go into the past and deal with things that we never cleaned up from before. Mm. You know, that's kind of, you know, particularly in some of the deep dive in person work I do, that's one of the sweet spots I've found is, you know, oftentimes we're walking around with all these, as I call them, kind of energetic kinks from small traumas in our nervous system and big T traumas um, from our past, right? Ways we are handled emotionally, physically, relationally, that we didn't actually have the capacity to integrate in that moment. So they're kind of like these little pockets of unprocessed life that in my experience, we kind of have to go back into when we're at a place where we have the capacity to then feel it and process it and be with it, which is why I love men's work. And I'm such a huge believer in men's groups because I think that's an incredible container to do that in and get to kind of go back into those unfelt experiences and feelings. And it's wild, at least from the work I do of uh, when we do that, how quickly someone, the men I work with, oftentimes their structure will change. Their voice will drop. They'll stand differently. Um, something will actually shift. Now, it's not like a magic, oh my God, it's all fixed. But by repeatedly going in there over and over, there is actually a, a, a change that I've seen, right? Sometimes emotional, raw sore spots that really used to trigger us it's, it's, it's kind of like they become less tender. You know, it's like the old bum knee that we learned to work with. And it's like, okay, that's, that's something I have to be conscious of when I'm working out now. And I can work around that. And when I take care of my whole system, it doesn't put as much stress on there. So I, I can learn to really thrive even with that. Um, and so that, you know, like I said, when we kind of, at least from the work I've ended up doing, oftentimes when we go back and kind of deal with this lingering stuff we never dealt with, suddenly it kind of snaps us into the present and I almost inevitably see men become larger, their capacity to hold more of themselves in, in the world around them goes up, which to me is a type of evolution. 
right? I can actually hold more of my experience now, more of the stresses that life's bringing at me, more of the tensions in my purpose and relationships, um, all those different types of things. I, I want to jump in. I mean, the, other, the other thing I'll say just real quick mm-hmm. is that ultimately, right, what I, when, I talk, when I talk to guys about working with me, it comes down to like, you got to want it more than me. Like, mm. I can't act pro for you. Yeah. I can like hold a vision uh, of what I believe and what I see you know, like is your highest you know, self in this moment. But it's actually up to you to go in and do that. And that, that's why I like this term kind of evolutionary guide of it's like, hey man, I, I spent some time with you. I know you. I see what, what your life could be like. I really feel it. I, I feel how much, what it would be like for you to be firing on all cylinders of life. And I'm going to hold that vision for you figure out how you can get there and we're going to guide you through whatever you know whatever your hero's journey in this moment is for you to go back incorporate more and come back to the world that's very well put i really appreciate that same Uh, i do want to jump in because there's there's a lot in there um and i do really appreciate and can relate to a lot of what you just described um i'll share in the men's groups that i lead it I, I feel fortunate in, in the ways that and Mika and I first met um, because he attended one of my groups. And, and oh, that's so and, cool. Yeah, totally. And now we're doing this, which, which is, a, I think, an example of some version of what you're talking about is evolving, right? Um, uh, but the point I want to make in those groups is I have a lot of men repeat and they'll take multiple groups, you know, two, three, five, six even. And it's brilliant to be able to watch them do the thing you're talking about, which is feel more at ease in themselves, uh, be able to express more of themselves, um, and have access to more of themselves. Um, and the word that comes up and it comes up often for me in my own world and my practice is resilience. Um, and, and two more points and, and then we can keep stirring the pot. Um, when you talk about it, there's a, there's a paradox I want to point to, which is I'm with you in terms of increasing our capacity to be in the world and to be with more sensation, to be with more, and basically have more contact with self and other. And I think the paradox is, and I say this term a lot, help you increase your capacity to be with a charge. That's a lot of what I work with. And yeah. also I think it's vital because we got to move that shit. It's not just hold the stress and hold the tension and hold the burden of the world. It's also, yep. Oh, right. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to be concerned with this right now. Maybe later. It's, I think it's that capacity to sort of, uh, I don't know if juggle plates is the right word, but, or the right phrase, but to, to do so, to be with more things more easily. So it's not just a, I can hold everything because that seems antithetical. Um, and the last thing I want to talk about here in this particular of what you just shared, because you said a while back, uh, making men more whole and healed. I think when men are more whole and healed, um, the thing about wholeness for me that feels vital, especially when we're talking about men, um, yeah. is that wholeness is cracks and all, warts and all. Uh, I think it's got to be spoken. Otherwise, I think we can set ourselves up for for unreachable standards, uh, and then that the really destructive pattern of oh. I want to be like Mika or Jason or Jeff. So I'm not going to talk about how I watched porn for two hours last night or how I ate a pint of Ben and Jerry's and, and, you know, 
watch sports for seven hours instead of, you know, doing the thing that, right. Going for the run or getting six pack abs. I'm not going to share that. I'm just going to suck my gut in next time I see them. Cause those dudes, wow. So that feels like a little dangerous Mm. zone. I I love that. And you know, one of the things I often work with my clients around that sometimes I think actually disappoint. Well, it does. Sometimes it disappoints them (laughs) is, you know, they come to me with like, um, a pattern of behavior around like rejection around the feminine or anxiety around some work or, or these different things. And they want to get rid of it. Yeah. Right. They're coming. They're like, I want to get rid of that. I want to not have that anymore. I want to not be anxious anymore. And my, at least in my growth journey, my feedback to them is often like, Hey man, I've done a lot of work in my, you know, my bum knees they're still bum knees. Mm-hmm. Like they don't magically go away forever. There's certain <laughs> right. things that are part of my psyche that um, it's, it's more about learning to work with them and be in relationship to them yeah. rather than yeah. becoming fused with them, which is when our identity contracts into that thing. So all we can see is the world through that lens, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get that text back. So I must be a shit person, right? Like it's about me. It's about yeah. me. And instead, it, you know, a lot of the work I do is helping men just come into relationship. Oh, that's the, right, it's parts work. That's the <laughs> part of me that often feels that way. And, yeah. uh, you know, like I told Jeff in our first conversation, a lot of the work I do with men, because my own story is around dating and relationships and learning to interact with the feminine. And that's when I just get over and over and over again. Like, oh, I don't want to be anxious with women. I want to be totally confident. That's just not something I believe in where I'm like, yeah, I don't think it actually goes away. Cause if it's an interaction, the person you deeply care about right. and feel like into, there is going to be vulnerability in connecting with them. That's part of the jam of a relationship, right? <laughs> totally. I'm willing to put myself out there and know that it won't necessarily always be given back. So instead of trying to get rid of anxiety, it's, oh, how do I learn to come into relationship with anxiety mm-hmm. so that when the is right and I want to connect with someone, I'm not fused with that, right? This is that wholeness. This is that growing the eye. My eye that I identify with is much bigger than that specific emotion or wound that I'm carrying. And I can be in relationship to it. Like, oh, that's, hey, this is the part of me that gets anxious when I approach women. Yeah. I can feel it right now. Mm-hmm. It's, it's totally true. And I'm still going to walk over there and say hi. Um, so I, I, I love that, that if, the, the, the urge to get rid of is something I have to temper a lot in men, that it's not about getting rid of these things. Because at least I haven't found a solution yet in all the different modalities I've done that magically gets rid of these things. It's yeah. more that our capacity and resilience in being with them um, shifts. Yeah. Jason, I got a question to you about, um, about gender. About about our use of of men male masculinity as you know it it, it feels a little bit binary um, and and I think we're I think we can all agree at this point on the eve of 2020 that we realize that gender is not necessarily a binary that masculine totally. versus feminine um, is something that I can experience myself in my one. In my body, um, and and I'm curious, is your what is your approach? Because I think if I'd want to work with someone I, at this point, I would like 
to know that we can be skilled enough to speak to those parts of my personality that aren't necessarily. And in fact, I need to say goodbye and break up with some of my old <laughs> masculine, like male traits. I, I say this, I grew up 15 years in uniform, spent time in the military in a highly masculine kind of yeah. uh, culture. Um, and so I'm curious how you, what's your approach to that? What's, how do you tackle that with some of your, some of the guys that you work with? Totally. And, and in this, I got to give credit to, um, I've, I've been studying pretty extensively with my teacher, John Wineland, who is from David Data's lineage. So a lot of, a lot of what I have absorbed is, is through the lens of that. And that work, a lot of people know of the way a superior man has evolved quite a bit in, in the 20 years or so since David wrote that. And so, yeah, I, I totally believe in um, the fact that there are just these energies of masculine and feminine, which which are different than our sex, right? The sex we're born. So as a man, I absolutely have a feminine. I have a feminine energy inside of me. And women have a masculine energy inside of them. And life is actually about fluidly moving between them. All of us, all the time, are constantly negotiating. And uh, a lot of the work I do in men's group is actually holding a masculine container so us men can relax into our feminine and be in more our emotional body, be more in our expressive body, be more in our fluid body, not so much in our holding. It's got to be this body. Um, and what, Jason, you know, just to jump in right there, I love the juxtaposition of that. Feels like a prime example of the very thing you're pointing to, Mika, which is holding a masculine container, which is setting a clear container, holding it strongly so that we can all relax into our feminine. It feels paradoxical. And also I, I absolutely get it. I just want to highlight that and appreciate it. Yeah. And that, um, so just this idea that, you know, we all have masculine, we all have feminine, um, inside of us and different varying degrees. Um, but I think, in my experience, most people have a home base where they feel the most recharged is, is how I would put it, where they actually feel like, oh, this is where I can kind of go to charge my batteries. So for me, going out into the desert alone and sitting in silence in literal emptiness is like bliss. Uh, my whole body fills up with vitality and energy. Um, for my partner... Being in the flow of love, moment to moment, nurturing our newborn is her heaven. Mm. Literally, moment to moment, feeling, loving, feeling, loving. Lots of energy, cries, diapers, juggling this, the dogs barking. Just <laughs> movement of emotion. That, that, right? That's She's her happy good. space? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, 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 it's the fluidity and the movement of it all. Right? How full life is. Yeah, dynamism. Whereas bliss is being out in just empty right and i think there's a there's a reason that most of our kind of world spiritual traditions which in the last you know thousands of years have been patriarchal are masculine oriented meaning a lot of them are all about go alone sit in a cave and meditate mm -hmm. deep masculine practice they're not get together in a group and dance mm. no <laughs> Is more of that. They're about the motion, the feeling, the flow, the connection, the relational space. 
And we're recuperating that some of that now because you need, again, you need both. We all need both. Mm-hmm. And so knowing um, that we have both of these energies, particularly for men I work with, and I do tend to work with uh, men who are masculine identified. They, they tend to get the most recharged in masculine energy. A huge part of what I work with them on is taking responsibility for their feminine energy. Meaning like, just like Jeff talked, said so brilliantly, it's, it's not just about holding it, but it's about, oh my God, I am so triggered right now and I'm angry. And so, and what I would kind of call lesser developed masculine would immediately take that out on the environment or the person that was inflicting it on us. Just react. Mm-hmm. The types of structures I believe we're responsible for as, as men in the modern day are creating an appropriate container to express that in. Oh, hey, Jeff, do you have 10 minutes, man? Can we hop on a Zoom? Because I am really pissed right now and I just need to kind of have a rant and be witnessed. And so for 10 minutes, he just holds space for me while I beat a pillow in a safe container, in a safe place and scream. And at the end of it, I'm like, ah, okay, right? It's moved. Mm -hmm. I've kind of taken responsibility uh, for shepherding that part of myself. And in the dating world, man, I, this is where a lot of my guys struggle is that not having those structures in place, a lot of men that I work with, the only place they've learned to process their emotions is in their intimate relationship with their significant other. So right. the person they want to have a romantic relationship with is the only person they can talk to about their feelings, which puts a lot of stress on that relationship. Like, oh, I'm so, I'm so depressed. I'm having a really hard time. My boss isn't doing my thing. And suddenly that relationship, um, and it's not that we don't sometimes do this with our partner, but when we're exclusively doing that with our partner, it puts a lot of stress on that partnership. Mm-hmm. Whereas, again, while I'm like, every man's got to be in a men's group and you got to have structures in your life to, to handle your emotional experience, what I would call your feminine side, um, and take responsibility for that. So men's group, therapy, coaching, journaling, all these different things. So it's not solely on our, our partner. And that the, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, this work, this idea of masculine and feminine energy, it's most of the time we're kind of just right in the middle. That's actually how most of life is. Yeah. Um, what it's really about is knowing in the moments we want to create particularly, you know, erotic tension with our partners that we know how to do that. So for me, slowing down, standing still, breathing deeper, pausing more, really literally wrapping my presence around my wife, around our house, around our child, that will help her relax Mm. and breathe. And that's where she gets recharged when she's feeling wrapped by my consciousness. So it's not like I'm doing that all day long. Sometimes I'm just taking out the trash and talking to you guys and the thing, but there's times (laughs) I know I'm, I do that as a gift to her. So, you know, regardless of your same sex couple, mixed gender, you know, all the different spectrums we have now, I actually think it's even more important now because we don't have the roles that we used to, to tell us, man does this, woman does this. That's all gone. That's just dissolved. That's not how it is, right? Like I said, women have a masculine and men have a feminine. So there's this more going back and forth fluidity thing. And even in, you know, same sex couples I've worked with, 
in some sense, it's even more important to know that, okay, if we want to have like a, a juicy night together, one of us is just going to surrender more and one of us is going to lead more. And tomorrow it might switch. But tonight, I'm going to like plan an awesome night out and take you on an adventure. And I just need you to have, you this, have this jacket, wear these clothes, and you're going to come along for a ride. Um, so yeah, that, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's all around almost all of the work I do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciate all this stuff. I feel like each one's a nugget that I'd like to unpack. The first thing that actually comes to mind, having spent most of my life not in North America, is that um, a lot of the, uh, the the language that we use around male and masculinity can you know often be very culturally oriented. The context in, in where where I come from, men greet one another. Oftentimes with four kisses on the cheek, one, two, one, two. Takes a while to greet one another, but it's an affection and it builds some something there. And in some places, you know, you walk down the street and it's okay for two guys to be walking down the street holding hands. That's not considered um, gay or anything in that sense. There's a there's a um, there's an affection that that is absolutely not just welcome. It's not even mindfully welcome. We're not working on our affection. It's just the way we're raised. Um, whereas in, in the States landing here, navigating bra culture of like slapping folks on the back and how's it been and not really sometimes being able to slide in under the radar and actually share a real vulnerable, affectionate hug, um, which I can do sometimes if I like grab somebody and, and be like, Hey, I like you. (laughs) <laughs> this doesn't have to be sexual. Like there's so much um, sexuality that drips off everything. It feels sometimes in in North America that I'm. Just, there's so much that's lost there, and I and I wonder when it comes to exploring these masculinities here, how to deconstruct those, and what it might look like to be able to be a little more affectionate amongst amongst guys. Yeah. I love that because one thing it does point to that I forgot to mention is that, um, again, so we have our, our states and stages, meaning within masculine energy or feminine energy, there's stages, right? So there's levels of health, I would say. And a lot of what we describe as like bro culture, caveman culture, we could call, you know, in David's terms, stage one masculine, uh, the macho jerk, the caveman, the my way or the highway, power is power over, Um, But we can evolve that, right? We can actually evolve that to healthier forms of masculinity, um, which, you know, in the integral integral world, the labels they use for that are just agency and communion. So agency would be masculine energy, self, right? Self, separateness. I'm a discrete entity. Communion would be linking, connection. We are all one thing. We're constantly navigating both in any given moment. And the more we can, you know, this is where I actually think, you know, sometimes where some of the tensions I see online are like, oh my God, we need less masculine in the world. Like it's the masculine fucked everything up right. and it's time you know, need more feminine, more feminine, more feminine. And I actually disagree. I think what we need is healthier masculine. We need healthier, more evolved masculine energy. We actually need more of that in the world along with healthier, more evolved feminine and in terms of the practicality of that, like you're speaking to, that's one of the reasons, again, I love men's work and I love men's group. 
I love the experience I have oftentimes at weekends of putting two men in front of each other and having them make eye contact, which some men have never done with <laughs> another man. It is so threatening to their nervous systems to just lock eyes with another man that a whole narrative adventure happens in two minutes of them learning to relax that and connect that and see that, oh, this man, man isn't my enemy. I don't have to be in competition with all other men. In fact, we can all grow and thrive faster when we're supporting each other, when we're helping each other see the best versions of ourselves. And that, you know, um, what I have absolutely been blessed to experience through the many men's groups I've been part of is that there's something incredibly healing about the undemanding need of masculine energy of just like, wow, brother, I see how, I see how hard it is for you right now. I really see that. And I know, and I love you, man. I love you. You don't have to be perfect. Like that energy alone, I've seen shift so much for many men. And then combine that with touch, like a strong, fierce chest to chest, full three breaths, hug, and boom. <laughs> and I just see men, life literally comes back to their bodies. Like, oh, okay, wow. I don't have to do all this alone. I don't have to do all this alone. Oh my God. I'm not the only one struggling with X. You know, there's that beauty, beautiful thing in group work. And, you know, since most of the group work I do is with men is that one, oftentimes the deepest work, the things that serve most, a lot of men the most are when another man is sharing about his experience. Like, oh my God, seeing you do that has yeah. totally healed something in me. Thank you. So I, I'm all for breaking those barriers down, man. And it's one of the reasons I, I love genuinely hugging men. Like, okay, okay. I want to <laughs> dive in a little deeper here with your permission. I, sure. I can't help, but um, I, we, it's, it's important, I think, that the three of us name for a second that we are three cis, white, straight men. And that when we use the term men, already we're probably doing a disservice to many, many men out there um, that don't share our experience or we don't share their experience with them. They're not necessarily in the room or in this conversation. And, and a lot of what Jeff and I do when we explore with our guests and with one another, um, we've managed to frame it um, with, with the terms intention versus impact. Um, and, and Jeff comes to our work from, from an, what I understand to be as, a, as a, a kind of an internal personal process of growth, kind of a lot of what I hear you describing of how I can keep track of my own evolution and, and progress into the person or the man I'd like to be, um, which would be, you know, my intention, my, my internal process versus impact. Um, and the, the background I come to this conversation from is a lot of community organizing, political, social movement work, um, and the awareness of the impact that we've had collectively and probably personally within our, within our own relationships, but, but collectively, um, you know, we talk a lot these days about the privileges that we are probably unaware of that, you know, that the water that we swim in, we get away with whatever we want, essentially, not knowing that other people have a different experience than, than ours. 
Um, and and we we discuss Jeff and I discuss often this morning. We discuss the difference between um, fault. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of accusation. There's a lot of anger these days. And, and, you know, when, especially over the years following from Occupy Wall Street to, um, to the movement for black lives to hashtag me too and times up and the evolution of our consciousness in regards to not just the social movements, but our, but our placement in the communities and our identities that we hold. And I guess uh, I'm, I'm curious how you see the work that you do fit into a more collective or the, 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 uh, a collective evolutionary point. I know that oftentimes, you know, living in Boulder, the critique that I've heard given to Ken Wilber's uh, work is that it sometimes might be missing uh, a, a racial analysis, a class uh, an economic analysis. It's not so simple to say, hey, I have my own evolutionary work to do. There's there's like, I'm up against capitalism or I'm up against white supremacy or or misogyny. Um, so I'm, I'm curious how you see the work that you do fit into, into our overall narrative, especially as we talk about, you know, evolution. Totally. Um, and to... I'm going to use Ken to answer the critique of Ken. Oh, um, okay. So oh, right. One, a, a large part of his model is, is this, he calls it the four quadrants. And so you guys can see this, but I'm just basically making like a cross vertical axis and a horizontal axis. Um, so it's like a plus sign. And so he describes that the nature of reality is four fundamental perspectives. So the top half of that cross is what we would call individual, so singular. The bottom half is collective. The left half is interior, and the right half is exterior. So kind of going around the circle um, counterclockwise in the top left, the upper left as we call it, we have our interior individual. So this is our interior experience, right? It's, it's that thing that literally no one else can know but us how we're seeing the world, how we're processing. It's our interior consciousness. In the bottom left, there's the interior collective, um, which is how groups of interiors make meaning together. So how we're talking and we have some kind of mutual understanding that you can't point to on a microscope, right? But there's a knowing that we're knowing something together. Mm-hmm. bottom right would be exterior collective so that's systems that is absolutely where capitalism race that's gun germs and steel that's where the the different things in an environment combine to make certain systems that privilege some people and not other people and these things go back you know literally to the dawn of earth and where our planet is on the axis relation to the sun and where warmth hits and what can be farmed. Like there's, you know, crazy stuff. That's pretty mind blowing. And then the top right is, um, exterior individual. It's literally anything you can see with a microscope. And so knowing that there's all four of these things and you can't reduce reality to any, just one. So this is actually where I'm not a fervent hundred percent believer in the law of attraction, right? Cause we don't fully create our own reality. It's one-fourth of the equation. <laughs> now, things 
you can't just have one in the other. Things arise in all four at the moment. So you can create shifts in the system, though, by starting in one spot. So if I shift how I'm experiencing the moment, it will have some impact on the exterior. But I'm still embedded in a cultural, political, and sociological system that's going to impact me back, right? And so the work I do, you know, individual growth, personal growth and development is mostly focused on our upper left, our individual interior experience, mm-hmm. learning to rewrite our narratives, include more of the world. And that's super important and beautiful. And, you know, like you guys have probably experienced, you can meditate for 50 years and doesn't mean it's going to fix any of your shadow. Doesn't mean it's going to fix any of your reactivity. Doesn't mean it's going to um, allow you to um, send your kid to college, right? It's just a piece of the experience. It's not all of it, but it's a piece of it. However, it's the one we have the most agency around changing because we don't need anything outside of us in terms of others or the yeah. world to shift that. So we have the most responsibility in my mind to shift that. And as a white man in the United States of America in 2019, I have it better than anyone in the fucking history of the world in terms of having the capacity and resources, having the luxury of doing that. So a lot of the work I do with men right now, sadly, it is all with a lot of white men from North America because they have the most resources to even worry about some of these more existential things. They're not worrying about how am I going to pay the rent and whatnot. So... But what I firmly believe is because we have that privilege, we actually have the most responsibility to get in there and do our fucking work, to be the ones doing the deep emotional processing and labor and taking responsibility for how we're showing up in the world. And one of the things I love the most about my teacher, John, one of the central tenets of his his kind of work is that um, we take responsibility for the sins of our fathers, meaning we didn't cause a lot of the patriarchal damage in the world, but mm-hmm. we are taking responsibility for bringing things back into harmony. And part of that is us getting in there and doing our work and creating these spaces and then hopefully working with people who can bring this type of work into other environments. Um, and so simultaneously, again, that doesn't necessarily shift culture though. You know, if everybody started doing men's work, I think it would shift culture. But there's also these structures, there's these systems in place that that doesn't necessarily touch. And that's where activism, that's where politics comes in, I think. And you can't leave them out. And, you know, it's, I lived in Boulder for four years and I freaking love it. And I will say, you know, from one of my phrase I love to use about Boulder is it had a perspective of diversity. But here in LA, we have a diversity of perspectives. Like there, there's an actual something else happening there. Hmm. Um And it's one of the things that really energizes me about this city is I can be doing my work and then I have to go downtown and I have the reality of Skid Row thrown in my face. Yeah. And how does my work relate to that? And how can I impact that? And how do I have to think about that? Um, It's one of the things, you know, I really love about being here, but that, and, and for me, it's why I don't just do that micro work. So my version of the macro is creating media as being a filmmaker to try to, okay, how can we, get some of these perspectives outside of the workshop white person space that I'm just totally embedded in Mm. and 
make it more accessible to people. One of the reasons I love film as a mechanism of transformation is <laughs> I'm a pretty big Ken Wilber fan. And there was a time where I wanted to get a lot of people on board and I'd give them this 900 page book. Thunk, you should read this. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks. Totally. No, thanks. Just get back but to two decades. Like, hey, I saw this amazing TV show or movie. It was really amazing. You should check it out. Nobody thinks twice and they're willing to like take that on. And you know, I'm a firm believer in that in a super cheesy way. And then oh, I'll bounce back to you guys. <laughs> and the, what I believe transformative power of media, I was friggin' raised on Sesame Street, the Muppets and Fraggle Rock, which were incredibly world centric shows that had a lot of values embedded in them that I ingested from a very early age. So for me, it was part of how I thought the world should work. We should celebrate difference. We should welcome people of different perspectives. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be happy. Mm -hmm. uh, and nobody had to teach me that. I just got entertained by that. But the values were embedded in the media, um, which is part of what I'm trying to do out here in LA to various degrees of success. Mm -hmm. mm, you know, what comes to mind as we identify, uh, I think, a collective experience of personal evolution or vice versa, a personal experience of collective evolution is a, a critique or a wave that I've received from friends um, who I think would, you know, when, when, when we discuss collective liberation, you know, Boulder is all about the, you know, the Shambhala center and the Naropa moment and the, and the, and the conversations we have about personal enlightenment and how meditation um, can serve my own personal path. Um, and, and, and I like to lean into, uh, uh, the conversations about, uh, collective liberation versus personal liberation and, and, and what role I play as a solidarity activist there. And, and I play this role as a person who's still very much within my own inner world, messing with my inner demons and my personal evolution and how do I show up best? Um, cause I can show up into a room full of people with new, with diverse experiences. And as a white guy say, Hey, let me tell you how to solve your problem, which is a pot pattern that happens often, um, with white guys in, in, in social movement spaces. Um, and, and, and to be able to drop into that space, understanding that it's not, you know, just white guys that are working for for liberation at this point, you know, I know, I know a lot of us are waking up to fuck. I'm kind of behaving probably the way my grandfather behaved and I can evolve and catch up. In fact, it kind of feels like we've been lapped a couple of times, both on a personal evolution moment when I, when, you know, just hanging out in spaces, knowing that women's circles, for example, when I was a kid, when I was 15 or 20, um, the women in my life were already going to women's circles. And when I asked about a men's group at the time, they were like, ah, what do you want to do? Get together and watch sports. And like, okay, I think we've evolved at this point a couple of decades later where a men's group is actually, if you're, if you don't belong to a men's group, I'm going to question your priorities. Um, and, and, and to reach, to get to my point when it comes to, the activist spaces or the, the collective diverse spaces where I'm not necessarily where I know I need to show up and maybe, you know, shut the front door, or shut the fuck up, guy, white guy. It's, 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 it's a skill to learn to sit in a circle 
I, I consider it a skill to learn to sit in a circle and be quiet and to listen because the first thing that comes up, and this actually happened to me not that long ago in a diverse circle, when there's a moment of silence, I feel so uncomfortable. I'm going to be the guy that's going to step up and probably say something really, really wise and then kick myself for the next hour realizing, shh, just learn to be quiet and learn to listen because I have a lot to learn and, and, and realize that I'm actually only just joining a conversation that some communities of color or, or communities of, of, of different genders have been needing to be in for centuries now. And for the last decades, finally have received um, the microphone and some platforms. And I'm, I'm only just joining a certain conversation. I'm really new to the, to, to the circle to a certain extent. And it feels like we're catching up to communities that have lapped up a couple of times, almost the opposite of the hierarchy that we were raised with as white guys to be at the top of the pyramid versus, oh, maybe to a certain extent, I'm a newbie here and have a lot, a lot to learn. That, and, and, and so, you know what, that brings me to your, I think what caught my eye on, on your website was the term unapologetic. Um, and in that regard, in the regard of me showing up and I, I, I'd love for you to speak a little bit more to what it means to be unapologetic in a mindful way, honoring the spaces where we realize together that we're on a path towards collective liberation and being unapologetic sometimes also, how does, how does that relate to the humility that we're also learning to hold within us as we immerse ourselves into a world that we have may have not been aware of for a very long time. Totally. Um, two, two things immediately come to mind. One would be to me, what that term is really about kind of comes from um, the lineage of authentic relating work, which I know is really popular there in Boulder. And I do a lot of leading of here, which is just the concept of like, being able to own your experience, actually speak fully from your experience and know that your experience is not necessarily reality. Uh, so being able to literally use I statements instead of, well, the world is this way is one way I could imagine an uninformed me walking into a group and speaking, right? The world is this way. Um, oh, I can't and, emphasize what you're saying more. Like this is, this is, yeah, yes. I fall prey to this all I still fall prey to this all the time and I'm a pretty mindful guy versus like, here's what I've found to be true. What's true for you? Mm. Right? Which is relational. It's conversational then. It's acknowledging that my truth might not be your truth, um, but that we're probably going to have some shared reality we can come to at some point with some dialogue and coming back and forth, which, um, which I really love. So for me, part of that is being able to just fully own my experience. I mean, it's something that helped happen has served me in every relationship I'm a part of is being able to fully speak and own my experience and not put things on other people, not project that they're this way, or that they've had this experience uh, and even be able to own my imagination or hallucination. When I do, mm. I'm imagining or I have a hallucination that this is true for you. Is it? Which it 
again, leaves open a, a conversational space. So I'll often say, Jason, I'll, I'll say the story I make up here is. Yeah, that's a great phrase. Yeah. Totally. I love that. So you're offering essentially skills to get used to using these terms as we engage in, in our daily life circles, whatever they may be, whether mindful collective liberation circles or just at work with a colleague, I imagine yeah. you're experiencing this. Am I getting this right? Is it, is this phrase that, that is, I can rehearse? Totally. <laughs> that is the essence of the, the, the modality known as circling and authentic relating small group process. Literally we, you know, I like to also call it intersubjective meditation. Instead of just coming back to the moment and our breath, we're coming back to, and what's your reality right now? I'm imagining it might be this. Is it this? No, it's this. And just coming back to, I'm imagining it might be this. Is it this? Continually coming back to what it's like to be with each other in the moment, which is absolutely a skill set we can cultivate and build. So crucial. And like elementary um, school, yep. this doesn't have to wait till we're fumbling oh through God, life yeah. in our totally. late 30s. We can actually raise our kids to know these skills and to, to, to literally learn how to take other people's perspective and why that's valuable and what happens when we um, create spaces where we can do that in the other piece I'll say about the unapologetic is, and this is where, you know, kind of the more mappy side of me, the evolutionary guide is, is kind of having a sense of where I am in the cosmic map and, and what I've had the privilege of, or not had the privilege of mm -hmm. what work I've done on myself and what development I have on myself. So I know that I'm really strong in these areas. Like I, like, but you know, before I got into this work, I spent like a good decade making WordPress sites, guys. I feel very unapologetic that I could walk into any room with anyone and have a very strong conversation about the pros and cons of doing certain things in developing WordPress websites. <laughs> That's me being unapologetic based on, a lot of data I've accumulated Which, in that field. To, to make, I think, maybe a, an important distinction, unapologetic doesn't have to be arrogant. Oh, God, no. Right. Totally. It's, it's actually, unapologetic is aware of where I don't have it, mm -hmm. aware of the areas where I don't know everything. Mm. So I, I know where I, it's, it's almost like knowing where my innate authority comes from, right? There's certain mm. things I do feel very firmly I can speak towards. And oftentimes it's because they're transformations I've gone through in my life. So I can't speak to everyone's transformation, but I can speak to, oh, if you're a guy that gets anxious approaching women and has a hard time emotionally connecting, I'm pretty good at helping guys with that because I had to learn yeah. to walk that walk myself. So I can speak the language. I can, I can share that. I cannot speak to how to create a billion dollar business that creates massive social impact in the world. That's not something... I can even bullshit about in, in this life. So unapologetic to me kind of just knows it's about kind of having a sense of, you know, I, a lot of guys I work with play a lot of video games and, and, and role-playing games. And I think there's this goes right back to integral. There's this beautiful idea. If you've ever played a role-playing game that you can be the warrior, you can be the magician, you can be the thief and you have all these attributes, strength, dexterity, speed, charisma, and you can't have them all maxed out. The nature of the game is some of them are going to be stronger than others. Now, you can do some work to develop your weakest spots um, that are what we might call wounds or pathologies, but some areas are going to be stronger. So knowing what is strong for me and what is not strong for me, where I can speak 
with authority and where I can't speak with authority. A lot of those circles you're talking about, I cannot speak with authority. I cannot speak to the uh, authority of um, a racial minority in this country or a gay man in this country or a lesbian woman or a trans person. What I can speak to them with authority about is, hey, I think I'm pretty good at helping people feel their feelings. Do you want to come feel your feelings with me? I'm down to help you do that. Mm. Um, and then whatever comes out of the other side of that, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily know. Um, but that's what I can help you with. I can't help you with these other things. That, that, so to me, that's kind of a little bit of what unapologetic means. Yeah, that's helpful. I really appreciate that. I want to go back a little bit to the the roles, playing different roles. Um, it, to to me, and using the word transformation too, because that that often I think gets um, characterized as a mountaintop, which is a great disservice to us all, in my strong opinion. The transformation is a constant, and I mean that really, truly constant process. And when we talk about how you described unapologetic, to me, that's that beautiful, dynamic, alive, even there's a dynamic tension there between masculine and feminine being somewhere on the, the spectrum of owning something and knowing there's lots you don't know. There's a dynamic tension, I think, that's really vital to exist. And other terms that come up for me to, to kind of paint the ends of the spectrum are collapse and posture, um, especially for Love men. Those, yeah. Yeah, because... Uh, I learned a while ago, I got, I got, I'm going to tell a quick story here. So I was a bartender for years. It's part of how I got through grad school. It's part of how I you know, fed my kids for a while. And uh, I say <laughs> being a bartender made me a better therapist and being a therapist made me a better bartender when I was still bartending. Um, and there was a fight I had to break up one night. You know, people got a little loose, a big dude sat next to a guy's girlfriend and people got pissed and I had to shut down some shit. It was very intense when I had to tell a guy to go outside and hell, tell, tell another guy to shut the hell up and sit down. And I directed some traffic. And then afterwards <clears throat> there was a regular sitting in one booth and I was talking to one of the guys in the fight and I, to the whole table said, Hey, look, I'm sorry about that. And the guy who started the fight was a total asshole to me. And it really pissed me off and I got in his face. Um, and, and basically sort of sort of justifiable, Hey man, fuck you. I can kick your ass out here. I saved your ass. That dude would have crushed you. Blah, 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 blah. The, the important part of the lesson was the local or the regular who, who was a really interesting philosophical dude said later, you know, man, I loved how you handled that whole altercation right up until the point where you apologized for something you had no business saying you were sorry for. And I was like, God damn, stop me in my tracks because he said it in such a way I knew it was caring because I, I know, knew the guy well enough. And I also knew, wow, he totally just zinged me in one of my uh, really kind of collapsed, nice guy, don't want to piss anybody off, you know, defuse, defray. And it was such an important lesson. And this goes back to this unapologetic, I think, in this full circle way of apologizing for things that are ours to apologize for and not apologizing for things that aren't ours to apologize for. And that doesn't mean we're not acknowledging the impact of something, right? I mean, there, there's... I, I think that that's awesome. And I love how that ties right into what we were speaking about, even in terms of the, the individual and the collective, Yeah. right? Um, I did not cause... You know, a lot of the racial injustices or 
sexual identity and justice in the world, but I'm sure shit willing to take responsibility within my lifetime for doing everything I can to bring harmony back to that space in the ways I can learning about myself, learning about other, um, other people and trying to do my damnedest create like a, a, a space where we can all be equal in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a great example of that, uh, of walking both and, you know, it's both and that's such yeah. integral thinking is it's both and, yeah. um, both are true and something else is often true um, that integrates or includes more of reality than both of those things. And that's what, you know, this collective dance we're in just so often is. Yeah. That's a great story. (laughs) There's more to it. (laughs) It sounds to me like there's a whole conversation here that we're having around accountability. Um, And, and I appreciate that conversation about accountability, about you saying that we are responsible for the sins of our fathers, that we are showing up, whether it's our fault or not, we are, um, we're, we're, we're taking responsibility and hold ourselves accountable to the realities around us. And, and that does feel to me like one of the traits of being from whatever gender that it, it kind of feels to me like what I was raised to know a man ought to be able to do. Um, in what, in many ways. And, and there's a lot there to unpack. I'm not sure what's appropriate or doesn't feel appropriate. And I always feel a little iffy about it and whether I need to be apologetic for (laughs) being a little vague about these things. But uh, what I'm also hearing us uh, dance a little bit around is, um, that I feel an ongoing relationship between the call out culture and call in culture, um, in regards to accountability and the fact that so much today is up in our face around it's time to be held accountable. We cannot, we, there's, it's, it, the time is past where catcalling is, is acceptable, where, where sexual harassment in the workplace is acceptable. And it's not that long ago. This is very much in our lifetime. You know, we're still totally. in the midst of a paradigm yeah. where misogyny is very real where racism and supremacy is very real. We can't uh, disassociate from our political realities today. Um, and I'm curious, Jason, how you navigate. I hear what you're describing a lot as part of a call in culture that I really appreciate us being able to cultivate amongst white, cis, straight men um, who who can learn the skills and 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 how to just say like you just said is this this is what I perceive your your experience is right now am I getting this right and I'm curious um, Jason what your feelings are around call out culture when is it okay how is it okay to say hey dude that's not okay <laughs> what's happening right now is unacceptable behavior. Um, and and what that can look like, and I and I think I I'm also asking this because in a world where I feel it's it's necessary to signal solidarity, um, to signal to to friends and our brothers and sisters and siblings and uh, people of color who are dealing with realities that they needn't be dealing with because. It's a weight that maybe is appropriate that we take on ourselves. So, so to signal, I'm in solidarity. I'm going to. You don't need to be able to need to handle this weight. So within that kind of paradigm, I'm curious. How do you, um, 
What's your relationship with calling out culture versus calling in? Um, I, I don't have much of it in the collective sphere, right? I'm, I'm not really involved in that part of online particular. And, um, you know, I have a couple niches I'm in deeply here in LA, like authentic relating and men's work. So what I know is that is the, um, just in a more individual, individualistic sense is calling forth the rise. To me, that's the essence of coaching. Like, oh man, that was a really shitty thing you did. I, I truly believe you're capable of more than that. Like, what do we got to do? What do we got to do, man? I know you got to like, uh, you know, learning in the Brene Brown sense to shame the action and not the person in terms of the individual work I do of like, oh man, that was really not cool. And you can't do that again. And I love you, brother. And let's make, let, let's get into why that happened. Uh, that's most of my kind of calling out. In oh, a sense, wait, wait, just to con- I'm familiar with. I like that a lot. I like what you're naming here. It feels, if I can just interrupt here and, and, and stretch that out a little, slow down on shaming the action and not the person is a ginormous shift from you're, be- you're an asshole to maybe you're being an asshole to Dude, that was an asshole move. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and being able to actually to to yeah, that that seems that seems very significant. That seems to me very relevant to a lot of the calling out culture versus calling in and how to do that in a constructive way. Cause cause shaming someone, it's a whole nother conversation about how yeah. to work with shame. Um, because sometimes shame is an appropriate feeling. Um, totally, and, and and that what what you just said there feels very that it has that that has a lot of weight to it, and you know that's um, that is I think again taking responsibility. We do have some responsibility as you know as a as a white man, particularly in men's culture, of calling that shit out when people when guys do talk shittily about women or deride uh, other races like what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like, that's not cool. Don't talk like that. That's a person. You're a person. Like, come on, show up. Um, like, I do believe we have that responsibility and that's part of what shifts culture. But that call, that, I guess that calling out as we might call it or that healthy version of shame has to be also, in my mind, be simultaneously delivered with love. And like, man, I... I see you're a human being who's had your own shit that led you to this spot and maybe that belief, right? You know, most of the guys I've worked with that are assholes are being assholes to others stems from the fact they think they're shit. Like that's a pretty big generalization, Mm. but oftentimes that's an internal belief they hold. I'm not a good person. And then it's really easy to take that out on other people. And when I, when I'm able to hold like what you just did there was not cool, not at all appropriate. And fuck, man, you've had a hard life and I, I love you. And I, I know there's more possible for you in this life. Mm. Uh, so let's do this. I'm actually on your, I think what, what I love about what you're saying is it's, it's yeah, I'm on your team. Yeah. That's not okay. And I'm on your team, man. I'm not yeah. your adversary. <clears throat> um, totally. Uh, the ter- and so I know how to do that in the individual sense. In the more collective sense, that is the wild west unknown for me. I don't know how to best serve um, Beyond like trying, you know, I have a nonprofit that I co-founded here in LA. That's about how do we get this authentic relating work more throughout the city, just outside of the wet white 
kind of affluent West Side bubble, but into other mm-hmm. parts so other people can experience it and bring it to their own communities. There's a phrase that comes up as we're talking about this, which is combining the two things, calling in or calling out and calling in. That, that, I like that. That, that, that the, the piece around staying relational is huge. Um, Mika and I were talking before we hopped on here around when is shame a good thing and is there healthy shame? And I, well, I think it sounds like we all agree there absolutely can be and there needs to be feeling humiliation appropriately and having someone stay relational with us. Like you were saying, Hey, that's fucked up and let's talk about it. I'm here for you. Um, that's the big difference that I see. I'm calling you out and I'm also calling you in. I'm not just like, and the definition broadly of shame for those listening to is that shame typically translates to I am bad versus guilt, which is I did something bad. So So great. Yeah. And it's such a, for me, a foundational part of, Oh, right. If I just did something bad, then maybe that means I'm human and not a bad dude to the core. Mm. Um, so anyway, calling in, calling out and calling in feels like I want to join those two from here on out because calling in, I'm like, so well, how the hell do I call someone in? Cause I kind of have to call them out before I do that, which is like, cause I, I tried to do this with a community member recently, actually, where, uh, I, I tried like sort of calling in and meeting up, but I didn't want to frame it as a call out meeting. And then uh, ultimately, I don't want to say it backfired, but it didn't go how I wanted it to go, which was me trying to be in community. Uh, and, and as much as I was being kind and generous, I thought, you know, he still felt called out and kind of attacked. And we need, back to the R word, resilience. Um, so if we don't have cultural or individual resilience or cultural resilience, then how the hell do we ever develop that? Um, so calling out and calling in feels like a, a new mantra for me anyway. And it, and it sounds a lot like this resilience has to do with the skills that you, it sounds like you both work on sharpening amongst us. I'm a little sad yeah. that we're reaching, you know, we're in our thirties and forties and fifties and we're, we're only now really now we're getting around <laughs> in our life to sharpening just what feels like ought to be the most basic skills and relating to, to other humans but fine, whatever. If now's now's <laughs> yeah. what when's this this is this is when it's this not is happening. Now when. It's yeah, not right. now when. So sure. here we are. Um and I'm really glad that I hopefully this is these skills that we're naming now are hopefully also woven into um you know elementary school curricula. I don't want totally. next generation to need to wait till they're 40 to fumble through this. This is hard. I mean, I say this as a white, cis, straight man, of course, again, context, yeah. context, but this is hard work. This is, this is what w- we mean when we say fumbling up the learning curve together. Yeah. And I mean, it's, this is where I light up an excitement in that we're living in a time that's so unique in history where, you know, as we would argue in the integral world, we're on this massive shift of consciousness. And what that really means is literally consciousness is becoming aware of how consciousness develops. And so, you know, I see this, what I see you talking about is changing a lower right structure, the systems of our elementary schools, Mm. which right now have been teaching that learning is reading something and being able to recapitulate it. 
right? Like memorization, right. that's the most important skill set for you. Industrial Speed era conditioning. Totally. Yeah, yep. which that's not it anymore, right? Relational intelligence is way more valuable in the workplace, way more invaluable. And I interface with lots of different people who are different than me and come to shared reality in service to something bigger than all of us. And we're the, you know, we're the first generation ever that's had access to all these different lineages, modalities, and tools that can really significantly shift these ways of being in people within a lifetime. Uh, I think, again, it's one of the reasons we have so much responsibility. If we have the means to do the kind of work the three of us do, to do it. Because uh, our forefathers, our foremothers didn't necessarily have that. And even in terms of education, I see this man, I remember this is a very short story. One of the first film production sets I worked on in LA, we were doing this short film and they had a child actor on who was maybe four. Mm-hmm. And the sound guy, you know, so he had mics on, he was like, had the kid mic'd, um, had a very intimate um, connection to the kid because the kid would talk and he'd hear it right in his ears. Mm-hmm. And the age of the child was he did not yet have the capacity to be aware of how loud he was talking in any given moment, <laughs> right? He didn't actually have the self-awareness. Well, so I the barely sound have that self-awareness keeps, like, today. The sound guy <laughs> just keeps ripping on him, right? Like, why did he stop? Ah, this kid, he just won't be quiet. Can you please be quiet? Can you please be quiet? And like, he's getting upset at the kid for a level of awareness that he didn't actually have in himself yet. Aww. And the fact Aww. that we're now seeing this, I mean, just imagine... I, what torture to have kids sit still all day in class. No. That is not how little bodies are meant to exist. No. They're supposed to be exploring, running through space, conversing. Like, I think that whole system is about to blow up and we're going to be able to you know, hopefully optimize it in some ways that actually um, are favorable to development and help people develop even faster in some sense, Right. Uh, actually working with what's there instead of against it in, in a lot of ways. So I, I don't remember what you said that got me excited about this other than <laughs> we're becoming aware of the different ways we can grow now in ways we didn't even know, I think, you know, when I was young. Um, so it's even, you know, it's it's freaking amazing. As a parent, I'm reading all this developmental psychology and I have an awareness of what my kid can do and what, what she can't, like almost week to week. Like that's never been done before in history. And so I can actually relate to where she's at in a moment in the moment without expecting her to be somewhere else, which I think is oftentimes where a lot of strife um, get is caused. And so in the bigger cultural context, we have that with this developmental awareness as well, that, Oh my God, if someone isn't, you know, if a minority is living in Los Angeles, working a minimum wage job, it's going to be really hard to convince them that they should go on a seven day retreat right? Like their priorities, their level of development, what is most important to their survival in the moment is totally different. And so I need to talk to them differently. They're going to have a different view of the world. And not to mention to be able to afford a seven-day retreat, which is a whole other conversation about how, and this is one of the things that, you know, you can probably imagine gets frustrating living in Boulder where... We're all working on self betterment, and at the same time, it's kind of like, well, if you have the the where the leisure, I think is the right word, uh, the luxury, uh, yeah. the luxury yes. or the to, the space in your life to be able to do that. That's one thing, but I think that's also some. It's a little pretentious to discuss my personal liberation when around me it is 
the result is that it might even cause it, it's prohibitive um, to to be part of the haves versus the the many many more have nots. Um, and boulders is just a great example for for that kind of dynamic unfolding in a in a strange. I feel like there's a dissonance there that we have yet to have properly tackled. Um, oh, it's beautiful to me. What I loved about Boulder is it feels like the monastery. It feels like the place mm. up on top of literally up on top of the hill yeah. where we get to focus on our development and don't have to worry about you know what's out there. And I think that's beautiful. <laughs> It's time. also why I moved to LA because I was like, oh my yeah. God, I want to help bridge the gap. All the deep wisdom of Boulder, how do we push it out into the world? Yeah. Oh, Hollywood. Yeah, I, Hollywood is how you push wisdom out. Yeah. So that for me <laughs> is like bridging that gap. <laughs> I like Sounds that. like taking a wisdom poop. <laughs> That's how you push the wisdom out. You go to Hollywood. Um, uh, I love hearing that, Jason, because I, I've lived in Boulder for just a little over three years now. And it, I came from a town called Bellingham, north of Seattle in Washington State. And literally their unofficial in Bellingham motto is the city of subdued excitement. And <laughs> yeah, right. Like, let's be chill, yo, bro. Uh, and on, on the one hand, it was great. I was there for 14 plus years. And, and as soon as I moved here, I felt like a superhero with the flat irons and the front range and these really young masculine mountains piercing the sky. And I had a similar like this three years has been wild in terms of growth and development and producing and offering. And, and part of what we're up to right now, Mika and I with the better bozo is like, let's get shit in the world. And I thought, wow, this feels like home. And now in the last year, I've been like, huh, I don't know if this feels like home, I think. And you just, you just put into words the thing I've been feeling, which is like, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I don't know about this place for the reason of, you know, and I'll relate this to more sort of parable. It's easy to meditate on the mountaintop, but the work is in the village, right? Going door to door, begging for rice and actually putting out the, the word or, or being with the people. Um, so it, it feels like back to what I think we've spoken about purpose for men, right? Uh, consistently calibrating and recalibrating. I'm putting my own words on this shit right now, but, and, and, always where's our true north where's our true north consistently and i love that you listened really well to yourself 10 years ago i said you know i'm out of here i gotta go do this thing i want to do and i do it in a place that makes sense mm-hmm. that feels big mm-hmm. yeah i second that i feel that too <laughs> i've been you know i've bounced around for a few years around the world spending time with like Spent time with a Zen master in Pune in India. I um, went to see the different shamans. Uh, lived in in all kinds of corners of the planet, and and have been to a bunch of different spiritual um, centers. You know, northern New Mexico, for example, has there a number of them. And what I can't help but notice in most of them is that when it comes down to it, the folks who can afford again, to drop out of life and take a year off to meditate, to go visit <laughs> India or to spend time at that ashram in, uh, in, in the mountains of northern New Mexico, those are, that's, that's literally the privilege to, to, to drop out and, and work on oneself. But I, I, I like the shift from personal enlightenment 
you know, that that's the term that I, that I was familiar with 10 or 15 years ago to collective liberation. Cause if I, I am not liberated until we're all liberated is a kind of an invitation to step off the mountain, a up off the meditation cushion and maybe towards a front line and help people who are on a front line down to a meditation cushion seems mm. like a good um, tension to mitigate that dissonance uh, that, that, uh, that, that I feel in Boulder. Mm. Yeah. The, the thing Beautiful. comes up. I love it. Yeah. The, Boulder's top heavy in that, that, you know, self, uh, self-awareness, self-centeredness often in a really, I think great ways, uh, and without moving it, it becomes stagnant, right? Then it becomes spiritual capital. Yeah. Um, and it feels like what you're saying, Mika, if I'm going to combine Jason, what you offered is that four quadrant map of, of Ken's, that if we can insert the, the kind of purpose throughout those quadrants, what's my interior purpose, right? Interior individual purpose. What's my, you know, interior individual collective purpose. Um, and I know you talk about this in your work, purpose for men. And, uh, that, that feels like, uh, and I know we're, we're short on time here. I just want to, maybe this is, we're bookmarking this for later perhaps, but it feels like what's it like to overlay that, adding purpose to that or like quadrant, the, the red quadrants. thread, the red thread that can connect uh-huh. each of them mm-hmm. with, uh, with, uh, with intention. Yeah. What am I doing and why am I doing it? Who am I doing it for? Who does it serve? That's so good. Right. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> There's so much awareness in that. that. And, and what's working for me that might not be working for everyone else. <laughs> Another one I like, right? That's a good one. There's certain one. things working about this economy for me that is not working for other people. Yeah. So just again, having some of that awareness and okay, what would need to shift so it works for us all? How do we, you know, raise the the boat for everyone? I, I love, 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 love that idea. Rising tides. Yep. Raises all yeah. boats. Yeah, that's it. Totally. Well, shit, man. It's good to talk, Jason. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Thank you so much for I, hopping are, on. This has been really, really good. You guys are deep. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Ditto, man. And I feel like we, this is typical though. So I'm going to be a broken record. We just scratched the surface. There's a bunch of shit we want to keep talking to you about. So um, I, I'm going to speak for Mika and say, I'd love to have you back on at some point in the near future. Totally. I think in time. Right <laughs> on. Okay. Well, Thanks, man. This has been uh, an episode of The Better Buzzer with Jason Lang. Throwing down. Yeah, thanks, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, Jason. Ciao. Ciao. Ciao.